When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And here we go, day one of Brown's training camp in the books at Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And we didn't see a whole lot practice-wise today. It was indoors, it was a walkthrough. Uh, we didn't get to see any of the conditioning stuff. So sort of a, a quiet day here in Berea on day one, but still Mary Kay. Plenty to talk about. And let's just start with the quarterback situation. Let's start with Deshaun Watson. This is the first time where we've really gotten a chance to talk to Kevin Stefanski, talk to players, as they've sort of been playing this waiting game. Uh, the hearing has gone down. We're all still, you know, we're all doing the same thing they are. We're waiting for this to happen. So what was the vibe you got listening to people talk about Deshaun today? Well, you know, I think they're really making a concerted effort to move forward and keep their expectations for the season exactly the same regardless of what happens. They're not willing to to concede anything, to give up anything, even if Deshaun is out for an extended period of time. Now, everyone that I talked to in Deshaun's camp, we've talked about this before, still thinks it's going to be somewhere in the six to eight game range. I think the Browns are kind of operating along those lines, that that's what they think it's also going to be. Haven't necessarily been, you know, told that by anybody, but that's the vibe that I'm getting from people associated with Deshaun. So I think that's how Kevin is planning practices, planning, uh, dividing up the reps. Uh, when, you know, we talked to Miles today, you know, he, he came right out point blank and answered that question by saying, no, the expectations are exactly the same. And largely because we as a defense plan to be dominant and kind of help carry the team. Yeah, Ashley, what kind of vibe did you get? We heard from uh, Nick Chubb, we heard from Miles Garrett, we heard from Greg Newsom, of course, Kevin Stefanski. What kind of vibe did you get around the Deshaun stuff? Yeah, well, Miles Garrett like had that great quote today where he was like, last time I checked, the other team can't win if they're not <laughs> scoring points. So that kind of, I think, explains this defense's mindset going into all of this. Like, I think, and Kevin Stefanski kind of touched on it, right? Like, this is obviously a weird situation, and this thing is hanging over this team uh, until there is a decision on Deshaun Watson's suspension. But I think... Uh, it's like in football, you kind of have to be prepared for someone to go out at any given time because of the nature of the sport and how common injuries are. Um, so Kevin Stefanski said, you know, they have a plan. He wouldn't, of course, say what that plan was. We weren't that lucky. Um, but that they're willing to adjust. And that's kind of like in a microcosm of how the NFL operates, I think. So what Mary Kay is saying about they probably do think that there is a certain range uh, of games that he's going to be suspended for, and they're willing to adjust if it's not that. What, what did you guys think of, of the way Kevin sort of framed it? Um, as far as like, well, we deal with this stuff all the time, not knowing if we're going to have a player. Um, you know, in one way, it is kind of like that. It would be like, well, if they find out next week that Sean's going to be out for eight games. You know, it's, it's like he hurt his knee or something. So, I, I mean, is that sort of the way they should be looking at it? You know, I do think that's the way they should be looking at it. But I really do believe that there is this sense of it's going to be half the season. And they're just proceeding along those lines. They had to pick something. <laughs> they had to start somewhere and have some kind of a plan. 
I mean, you just can't go into it completely aimless. So I think they're going with split the difference, half the season, and in the event they get surprised and it's more than that, then I think they'll, pi they'll pivot from there. But right now, I think that's it. Now, the one thing uh, today, it, like, it never occurred to me that we didn't know that Jacoby Brissett was the starting quarterback, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh -huh. uh, I mean, that just didn't, it just never occurred to me. I know, like, we never thought Josh Rosen was coming in to try to become the starting quarterback. I mean, if anything, if Deshaun is out for the entire season, maybe at that point they put their heads together and they try to decide if they need to do something else. But right now, there's never been another thought about anything other than Jacoby being the starter if Deshaun is suspended. Yeah, Ash, it's like, like Mary Kay said, if he's out for the season, you do something else. But that's yeah. something else. It doesn't even feel like that's in the building right now if yeah, they didn't no. want to go with Jacoby for a full year. No, and I mean, hearing Kevin talk about Josh Rosen, too, like he didn't really have much to say about him. It seems like you mentioned Josh Dobbs has a leg up. I think that's in Mary Kay's headline, too, <laughs> for the story she wrote. So that kind of, I think, tells you it's been what Mary Kay's reporting about Josh Rosen, that like this isn't a done deal and they don't you know for sure have a spot for him but he's just there as an another arm in camp when you have a quarterback who's you know very likely facing the suspension so uh, you know then with Jacoby Brissett we heard some guys talking about him I I, I thought it was very um I, I thought it was interesting the way Kevin talked about how do they kind of put together that game plan and I think with Mary Kay it was you that asked him like Deshaun's got this elite skill set Jacoby does not and Kevin kind of made it seem like that didn't matter now I don't know if I believe him but he sort of made it sound like, okay, that doesn't matter. We're just going to scheme around who we have. Yeah, you know what? I, I actually thought he, instead of him saying, oh, we're, they can do the same things. We're going to do exactly the same offense. We're not changing anything up. I think he was, uh, you know, just pretty clear about the fact that Deshaun is Deshaun. Jacoby is Jacoby, and we have to play to his strengths and his skill set. And no, it's not going to look the same. I mean, we know that Jacoby Brissett doesn't throw the ball downfield like Deshaun Watson or do a lot of the other things that Deshaun Watson can do. Few can. So they are going to have to try to find the things that Jacoby does well. I think you will see more run running game. I think you will see more two tight end sets when Jacoby is in there. I think you will see a shorter passing game. Get the ball into the hands of your receivers on shorter routes and let them get YAC, yards after catch. So I do think that um, I thought he was pretty open and honest about that instead of sort of pretending like, oh, no, no, big deal, next man up. No, <laughs> it's not next man up. Right, you didn't trade three draft picks, three first-round picks, and pay Deshaun Watson $230 million, Ashley, because he can do the same things that Jacoby Brissett can do. Right, and like, we always say Kevin Stefanski's great at coach speak, right? But that would have been a step too far, even <laughs> for him, I think, to act like, oh yeah, it's just same old, same old if Jacoby Brissett's out there. So I do think, you know, it, it is interesting to hear him being open at this stage about adapting, because again, like, we talk about Kevin Stefanski and these pressers and Andrew Berry as well when we get him, and it's like, you can't always take away a lot, but I feel like we got at least a little tidbit even though we don't know exactly what this is gonna look like yet even Mary Kay's predictions are probably right on the nose but you know it's still gonna take some time till we actually see that so uh, all right let's talk about the defense then let's shift gears we heard from Miles Garrett and Greg Newsom today uh the three players two of the three players we heard from um let's start with Miles and Mary Kay he said something today that I wanted to pump my fist he mentioned the defensive tackles mm -hmm. and how having those defensive tackles that can create pressure can really help you as an edge rusher mm -hmm. and having that chemistry. I did think he sounded maybe annoyed is too strong of a word, 
But he sounded a little bit, like, tired of every year having to adjust to new defensive tackles. Did you, did you pick up on that? I did not pick on, up on that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But he kind of – somebody – the question was, how do you get used to new defensive tackles again? And he kind of, like, laughed and said something along the lines of – I I wasn't over there for all the miles. I was mostly reading it. But he said something like, well, I had to do it last year too. Yeah. Something like that, which – I, I don't think he was taking shots at anyone. I don't think he was complaining. It, it was just Miles kind of being honest. But I do, I do think it's interesting because, I, I mean, I've talked about it. We've talked about it on this podcast. Good defensive tackle play helps edge rushers. It, it really does. But remember, there is another thing at play here, and he had to say goodbye to his best friend, Larry Ogunjobi, <laughs> mm-hmm. who is now playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's true. I didn't, I didn't even go that far. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we probably should have asked Miles about that today, but we forgot. We were uh, preoccupied with the quarterback situation and other things. But I think there's probably a little bit of, well, we could still have Larry. Larry <laughs> left here and went on to get have like five and a half sacks in his next season or six sacks after after he left here and made his rounds in the AFC North. So there could be a little bit of that for Miles. I mean, Ashley, am I, am I alone here? Am I on an island and in, in picking up on this vibe, projecting onto Miles? Well, it's hard because I, too, was over by right. Nick Chubb and came over to Miles uh, earlier, so I tend to defer to Mary Kay, who was there the whole time and actually heard the answer, but I don't think you're, like, wrong for picking up on that, right? Like, we've seen Miles obviously not be afraid to speak his mind. He did it after the Odell thing, obviously after the bye week last season when he said he thought the focus could be better. Um, he just really, I think, has found that part of himself as a leader and a football player, so um, I don't think it's fair to, or I don't think it's unfair to, I guess, take that from that, and I do think he misses Larry. I mean, we talked to him about that last year before they played the Bengals the first time, and I definitely think he misses that, you know, his little, his buddy and that stability that Larry provided them with. So I also want to talk about Miles as the tone setter, because he was the one out there kind of delivering that message today. Like you said, Ashley, if we don't allow them to score any points, we're going to win. Um, he wants to grow as a leader, and we saw him take those steps last year. I, I mean, is this sort of him? Again, he's he's delivering the message. He's the one out there saying, this is our expectation for the defense. Is this sort of that next step for him? Like him standing up there and saying, essentially saying, I don't care who the quarterback is. Mm-hmm. We're good enough to carry this team. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we have seen the evolution of Miles as a leader over the last couple of years. He did not want that role early on. He kept to himself. He marched to his own drummer. He kind of did his own thing on his off days and different things. And as he's gone along throughout his career, some of it uh, inspired by the helmet incident when he realized his guys had his back and he needed to be there more for his players. Uh, but we have seen the evolution of Miles grow as a vocal leader. And I do think this is, uh, you know, building on last year when he was like, I mean, he was very vocal last <laughs> yeah. year. I mean, anytime he opened his mouth, you had a story because he was saying something or calling out the uh, defensive staff for, for you know, game plan type of situation mm-hmm. or talking about the Odell situation. So I think we saw the, the, the real new Miles last year, and I think he's continuing along those lines. Yeah, and Ashley, I mean, you kind of got to, to witness that firsthand a number of times last yeah. year, you know, just for various circumstances. Sometimes, you know, it would be you and another writer or two over there talking to him. But when you kind of arrived, it was sort of around the whole him calling out Joe Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you kind of got to see that arc 
kind of develop over the course of, of last season. Yeah, it's been interesting because this feels like the only miles that I've ever really covered. <laughs> Again, we cannot stress this enough. My second week on this job was the Odell stuff. So the, like one of the first times I interacted with Miles was him talking about how everything happened and he felt like the front office could have been more transparent and he was the only one to admit that he had talked to Odell. Now who knows if other guys had and just wouldn't say, but Miles got out there and admitted it. So I do think like when you look at the people that Miles like idolizes in sports, especially like Michael Jordan, LeBron, like those kind of guys, I think Miles is founding finding his voice on this team in his own way because obviously those guys have very different leadership styles I think than Miles Garrett does and very different leadership styles from each other but I think he's taken inspiration from those like some of his athletic idols so Greg Newsom um apparently a note taker we Baker Mayfield is no longer here who uh likes to feed off of social media chatter but Greg Newsom apparently admitted that he does and that that graphic came up that PFF graphic that we love to talk about where Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom were not included among the best cornerback duos in the league. Uh, Mary Kay, Greg takes notes, apparently. Yeah, he does, and that, that was good. Ashley asked him the question today, and, um, and she got a really good answer out of him talking about that, and he, he, was, he was funny about that. It was, it was kind of uh, fun to watch him say, oh, yeah. I'm all about that. And yes, I, you know, I have that screenshotted yeah. and, you know, that's motivation for me. And, and that, that was really cool. You know, I mean, he gave us a, a nice little story for that, uh, today. And, you know, he said he loves that kind of thing yeah. and, it, and it gets him going. So, you know, some guys, I mean, if we were there with Anthony Walker, the answer would have been completely different, <laughs> yeah. right? But, you know, he admitted it, and, uh, and I think, you know, it's part of who he is. Yeah. Yeah, Ashley, when you asked that question, is that sort of the response you expected? Yeah, because you see Greg, like, retweet stuff like that a lot. And it's not just about him. Like, in particular, I've noticed these last few weeks, like, whenever rankings come out, like the Madden rankings, for example, right? He tweeted that Denzel was too low. I think Denzel was, like, at 9 or 10, something like <laughs> that in corners. Um, but... I do think, like, it is interesting to kind of hear how these guys process this stuff because everybody really does do it differently. And some guys, like, you know, we've said how many times Baker Mayfield needs to get off of social media because it clearly, <laughs> I think, impacts him in a way that's negative. But you talk to a guy like Greg Newsom, and then I remember talking to JOK last year, it was something similar where he thought he was getting too much praise as a rookie, so purposely went to Twitter to find negative comments <laughs> about himself to get kind of a fuel. Um, so it's interesting that Greg doesn't shy away from that. He talked about that his family is really hard on him. His mom, his sister really break down his game film. I know his sister was a college athlete as well. She played basketball. So they let him hear it. And he said nothing anyone says to him could be meaner than his own family is to him about his film. So that was a little insight into how his mind works, I think. Yeah, it's, it's funny when we talk about Baker on social media. You're right. It, was, it almost seemed like it was harmful to him. You know, like Lamar Jackson goes on social media and fights with people, but... For whatever reason, he's yeah. able to compartmentalize it, and apparently Mary Kay Greg just loves it. He just seeks it out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, whatever it takes, right? Different guys get motivated in different ways. Mm -hmm. Some guys, I mean, you'll talk to a guy like Joel Batonio, and he will say point blank, I'm not externally motivated. I, you know, I can get myself ready to, to play football. Mm -hmm. Some guys need to have that little fire lit under them. And in some ways, I think Miles is like that, too. I don't know if he, he would ever really admit it, but I remember talking to Sheldon Richardson and uh, about Miles, and he would say, oh, I know how to motivate Miles. I'll just tell him in the middle of the game, like, what was that? That was a half a sack. He didn't even <laughs> yeah. get the whole sack. And, um, and so, you know, different guys, uh, different things work for them, and I think in the same way that Baker likes to have 
uh, a little something to get mad about, we now know Greg is the same. <laughs> so I, I think part of the swagger with this secondary two comes from these guys have been together now, and I, I you know we've we've always heard from Miles his expectations and how high they are, and we obviously only heard from Greg today, but I I get the sense from this secondary year two together. Uh, that whole group, you know, obviously adding Martin Emerson in and, you know, so some things are a little different. Greg Newsom playing more inside, but I really get the sense that even if it's maybe just, you know, brewing a little below the surface, that they do believe that they should be in that discussion with like L.A. and uh, whoever else as, as among the best secondaries in the league. Yeah, I 100% believe that they feel that way about themselves. And if you just break it down man for man, they should feel that way about themselves because, I mean, you've either got pro bowlers or potential pro bowlers at certain spots. And now, you know, I think there's two key guys, or actually three key guys in the secondary that should really step up in, in their second season, either on the field in the NFL or in the Brown system. And that's Grant Delpit, looking for big things from Grant Delpit this year. Um, and then, of course, Greg Newsom, same thing for him uh, in, in his second season. And John Johnson III, who was kind of feeling his way last year. He didn't really know exactly where to be at all times. And Joe Woods really wasn't quite sure what his best use was in this defense. But part of that was because, you know, Grant Delpit wasn't healthy and other guys. I mean, now they're going to know what to do with John Johnson III. And I think that the safeties are going to make a huge, a much bigger impact this year. But until they cannot call themselves one of the best secondaries in the NFL until they start taking the darn ball away. If you don't do that, then you have to be quiet. I mean, don't <laughs> say that you're that. If, if, there, if there are guys out there, I mean... I think it was, it was Dallas that had 26 interceptions, okay? Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to be really getting those impact plays, forcing the ball out, grabbing interceptions if you want to call yourself one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's right. I mean, PFF grades are great. You know, good coverage is great, but Ashley, at some point, you've you've got to make something happen for your offense. You do, and I mean, I know Greg Newsom is so hungry for those takeaways at this point. We've talked to him about it at the end of last season. He obviously didn't get his first interception, I don't believe, last year. Um, so he's still waiting for that. So I definitely think, too, when I've talked to him before, you know, I talked to him in, like, February when I did that story about him being such a big Cavs fan randomly, even though he's from Chicago, and, and asked him a little bit about this. And he did, you know, kind of bring up something similar to what he did today, that for the longest time, those, like, main six guys in that secondary were not able to be out there together. And they had so many new pieces last year, but really when you think about it, last season Denzel Ward was, like, basically the only guy who had consistent playing time for multiple years in that group. So it definitely is interesting to hear that last year, by the end of the season, they felt like they were still kind of just getting to know each other. Um, and the other interesting point that I think he brought up, because, you know, the, the Bengals, I think, are the seen by many as, like, the team that they match up really well with in this division. Obviously made that Super Bowl run last year, but I know he's talked about they feel like they match up so well with those receivers, and he in particular feels like he matches up really well with Jamar Chase. So I think that's part of the reason they have this, like, super high, like, expectations for themselves, especially in the division. And, and Mary Kay, I think the name you mentioned, the key name there, and, and we'll kind of wrap up here, is John Johnson. And I'm sure we're going to hear from him pretty early on here in camp. But I would bet that if we really went back and looked, this defense kind of started to turn it around in part 
because John Johnson got comfortable mm-hmm. and Joe Woods got comfortable with him. And I, I just think having him, you know, a full off season, knowing what his role is, knowing what he's going to do, I think it's going to make a world of difference. Yeah, I, I really do too. I think he is going to pop this year. I think both safe, starting safeties will. I think he and Grant Delpit are going to make a big, big impact on this defense. I really do. Um, And I think just him being comfortable, not just uh, on the football field, but just in his environment, in his surroundings, with with the guys, the friendships that he's made. You know, you just kind of get your sea legs with the team. You can be more vocal. You can be more of a leader. He was the the green sticker guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you can kind of really start to to make your mark on a team. And we started to see him do that at the very end of last season when he was like, hey, we need some yoga. We need this. We need, you know, we need, uh, you know, a connection between the offense and the yeah. defense. So he was starting to kind of um, make his mark on this team. And I think he'll do more of that. But I think we need to talk about the fact that Denzel Ward is at least going to be out for a couple, yeah. a, a couple mm-hmm. more weeks. Mm-hmm. And... There are some benefits to that because I think it gives Martin Emerson a chance to get some really good reps. I think it gives Greedy a chance to get some good reps. But I do think it's kind of significant that Denzel is going to be out for a couple more weeks. I mean, this happened on June 16th. So we're going over, we're going, you know, on more than a month. Mm -hmm. And so now he's not going to be back until, you know, sometime early August. Um, and, And I think it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, even, like, even though he's not a young guy, it, just to have him out there and have that momentum, like we talked about guys being together and playing together, um, that it hurts. It hurts to not have him out there. Yeah, and he's like your star corner, right? And I think, too, like a lot of the nervousness, and you know, we've heard this from text or text subscribers and people on Twitter, is just like Denzel Ward's injury history in general. I think people tend to think of him as a guy who's like has more wear and tear on his body. So that is definitely concerning. And he is, you know, again, the guy who's like basically been here the longest, who like kind of knows the ins and outs of this. He's coming off arguably a career year with still room to grow. So this defense definitely looks a lot different without your, you know, Pro Bowl quarter there in these early stages of of camp. All right, there we go. Day one of training camp. Not a lot happening here, just kind of a walkthrough inside. Uh, So not a lot has really happened on the practice field yet, but uh, we'll be with you every single day that the Browns practice here in Berea. We're standing in a hallway in the back of the facility next to a radiator uh, recording this. So uh, who knows what you're going to hear in the background in some of these podcasts, but uh, we're going to bring one to you every single day that the Browns take the practice field. Uh, So for Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.